Thank you, Vok. Um, thank you for those words of introduction. Um, I apologize if my voice is a little uh, hoarse, uh, the, the, the result of the weather. But um, taking a look at uh, Parshas Vayishlach, going from Parshas Vayetse, making the bridge into Parshas Vayishlach, the, we've got the stage set now. Yaakov Vodinu, he's taken leave of Lobon. He's now preparing for this epic meeting with his... Uh, Long lost brother, not lost, but uh, he hasn't seen Aesop now for 34 years. And at the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach, he sends ahead messengers, Vayishlach Malochim and Aesop, to see was Aesop, did he still hold, did he still hold anything against Yaakov? And the messengers came back and they said, yes, the Arbamir's Ishimai, he's got 400 men <coughs> coming with him. So Rashi tells us that Yaakov prepared himself in three ways. Number one, the Doirim, he prepared presents to give to Esau. Number two, the Tzvilah, he doesn't talk Kodesh Baruch And number three, uh, if push came to shove, he was prepared to battle it out with Esau. He then goes on and he gets, he journeys closer and closer. And on that infamous night, he takes his family across, across the Mavar Yabuk, the Yabuk crossing. He's taken his wives, his children, his seemingly his livestock, everything's been taken over, and then he himself goes back to fetch some parking katanim, to fetch some small, some sort of jugs, and the Pesach says, Vayivasei Yaakov Levada, and Yaakov was there all alone, Vayivik Ishimoi, and the star of Esau, the angel of Esau came and battled it out with him, until the break of dawn. At that point, the star of Esau realized he wasn't going to overcome Yaakov. So he touched his, what became the Gid HaNosheh, he displaced the Gid HaNosheh, that sinew there. And then he asked Yaakov to let him leave. Yaakov said to him, not, I want you to, yeah, there's a bit of give and take there. And that's pretty much the end of the story. Then the Torah says that Yaakov, he called the name of that place, he called it Peniel. Why did he call it Peniel? Because I've seen, I've come face to face with a Malach of Hashem, an angel of Hashem, but you know, tell Nafshi, and I've, I've emerged relatively unscathed. My soul has been saved. Now, there's two problems over here. The Arachim HaKadosh asked two questions. Question number one is, was this the first time in Yaakov of Inu's life that he'd come face to face with a Malach? He'd seen Malachim many times before. He didn't call it Peniel because of the battle he had with the Star of Esau. It says, Kira Isi because I've seen the Star of Esau. What was so momentous about seeing a Malach? For Yaakov Avinu, surely this was, I wouldn't say everyday occurrences, but it's, it's something which he, surely he had experienced many times before. This is one question. The second question is on the choice of name. He called the name of the place, he called it Peniel. If you continue on a couple of Pesukim, it then talks about Ka'asher Obares Penuel, when he passed on from Penuel. So now, for Chasidim, it makes no difference. Peniel and Penuel is all pronounced the same. But for us Litvaks, is it Penuel or is it Peniel? This is what Arachim asks. So the Arachim says that seemingly looking at, into the rest of Nach, you find the name of the place comes up once or twice again. 
And there it's always it's Penuel. So seemingly the real name was Penuel, just the Yaakov Avinu on a, for an, as, as an individual, for him, for some reason he called it Peniel. For everyone else it was Penuel, for him it was Peniel. But Arachayim doesn't explain that if, he's a, if he knows why, but he doesn't give us any reason why that would be. These are the two questions. Question number one is, was this the first time Kiro Isi came that he'd come, he'd seen face to face a Malach of Hashem? And question number two is, is it Peniel or is it Penuel? Why would there be a difference for Yaakov Ovinu personally and for Klal Yisrael as a whole? So I'd like to try and explain this with, by taking a, a look at some of the fundamentals of Emunah and Betoch. If Shimshon Pinker, some of what I'm going to say today is based, at least the first part of the share especially, especially is based a little bit on ideas of Shimshon Pinker. I don't know what is his, what's mine, so, but at least uh, I should make mention that some of it does come from him. This motion is definitely his. He says, imagine you've got somebody, put yourself in this person's shoes. A person borrowed 10,000 pounds, and he's been given a date when he has to prepare, he has, he has to repay the money by that date. And as the date looms, it's getting closer, he's trying to find someone who will once again lend him the money, help him out to try and repay this money. He tries, he tries, he can't, he just can't find any sources for this. And as the date looms, he knows the bailiffs are going to be in, he doesn't know what to do with himself, he's had many sleepless nights, and finally it comes the day he's walking down the street like a zombie, he doesn't know what to do with himself. All of a sudden, as he's walking down the street, he sees Rich Uncle Max. Rich Uncle Max, <clears throat> everyone knows he's, a, he's an absolute millionaire, and all of a sudden, all his worries just dissipate just like that. No longer, no longer any worries. Family's family after all. Rich Uncle Max, he'll sort it all out. So the Shimshan Pinker says, let's just pause there for a second. He says, Rich Uncle Max is probably, actually, your third cousin, five times removed. You've met him once in your life, but you assume, look, family's family, he's a millionaire, why wouldn't he want to help me out? All of a sudden, serenity overtakes this person, no longer any worries. He says, but you're a mommy. You've been doubling to our Oracle three times, a minimum of three times a day about this. For many weeks, our Oracle loves you more than any biological parent could love a child. And our Kodesh Baruch was richer than rich Uncle Max will ever be, and for that matter, anyone in this world will ever be. So why are you worried after finishing a tefillah? This is scenario number one. Scenario number two, and scenario number three really connect together. They come from Rishon Shvadron. The Rishon Shvadron was once walking down, he says, he describes he was once walking down Rukhot ben Yehuda. And he says he was minding his own business, and all of a sudden he felt somebody punched him in the heart. So he looks around, and then again, he gets punched again. He thinks, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, he hops hold of himself. He's holding in Salachlonu in the middle of Shemona Esrei. Now, in truth, this probably never happens to Rosh Hashanah But I think many people, can only talk for myself, we can relate to this. You know, Zekotzka Rebbe, one of his Hasidim once came to him after, I heard this from Rav Osh's Eidig Rubenstein, he said, somebody once, a Chosid once came to the Kotzka Rebbe after Davini. So the Kotzka said to him, he says, Shalom Aleichem. So he looks around. Who's he talking to? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm being away for the last year. So the Kotzka Rebbe said to him, he said, No, you just finished Shemad Esra? He said, yeah. He said, you didn't go halfway around the world in, in Shemad Esra? Now the question over here is, we can laugh about it, but why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult for us to hold concentration for five, ten minutes 
We know we're not, it's not a problem in belief. We've got absolute amunah, Shavisi Hashem and Anegdi Somit. I'm fe- coming face to face with the Melech Malkei Amalachim. And I can't hold concentration for five, ten minutes. What's the problem with us? So Rabbi Shimon Pinker's answers, he says, the problem is like this. He says, the problem is Hashem is not real. That sounds like Apikorosis. Let me explain to you what he means. I'll give you a marshal. Imagine they've just invented some new sport. We'll call it bungee jumping back in the day when bungee jumping came, came, came about. And they're looking for somebody to try it out. So they find some daredevil and they ask him, would you like to be the first one to try it out? So he says, quite frankly, no. Because what if it goes wrong? Well, he says, it'll be quite a nasty end. So they said, but don't worry. We checked everything out. It's gone through all the top university professors, the mathematicians, the scientists. They checked it all out. The, the elasticity, everything has been calculated down to a T. And if you don't believe us, they slap out a few files with all the, all the, the blurb about it. You can read it for yourself. So the guy still says, you know what? I'd still like to see somebody else do it first. So you say to him, why? Do you doubt these, these professors? He says, no, I don't doubt it. But until I see it with my very own eyes, I can't do it. If Shemesh Pincus, that's not his marshal, but he says, that's the, the difference between Emunah and Betochen. Emunah, of course I believe. Not only do I believe, I know. I know I'm standing opposite Hashem. The problem is, I'll put it like this, the Odato Hayoim, we know not just believe, we know we're standing opposite Hashem. We know we're talking to Hashem. And in the case of the Moshe, I know the mathematicians are all right. But but to take it to heart, that it actually infiltrates my very being, that I can actually live it out, that is already is a different ballgame. Rich Uncle Max, I can see him, I can shake his hand, he's somebody who's real, he's tangible. Whereas our Kodesh Baruch is somebody I don't just believe in, I know he's there, but I can't see him. And therefore, it's the Abayda, the difficulty is in making our Kodesh Baruch Hu real in our lives. So, Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, that's the Abayda of Betafi. And it's a very, very difficult Abayda. And that's why, back to all the Mashalim, that's the difficulty we have. Coming back to Yaakov Avinu, I think perhaps we could say that's what's going on over here. Oda Morisha in Kedem Achet, before the infamous sin, Chazal tell us that he wore what's called Kosnus Ur with an Aleph. Skins, which were, you, it was like, the skin gave off light. In other words, the neshama, the skin was like translucent, transparent, you could see right through to his neshama. The neshama was external, you could see godliness, you could see spirituality even on the outer physical casing. But when he sinned, that all changed. And it became costless ur with an iron, therefore the spars in the iron is the gutter, it makes a difference. And the word ur with an iron comes from the word iver. Iver means blind. You can no longer see the neshama. You can perceive it. You look at it, tzaddik like Yaakov, and you can perceive it, but you can't see it. It was now encased inside this, the physical skin. And this was the battle which Yaakov Avinu prepared himself for the Sar of Esau. The Sar of Esau was determined to maintain that state. Yaakov Avinu, on the other hand, he knew he had a mission. He was the last of the three obvious, the Bechir Sheva obvious. And he, on a personal, on an individual level, was now out to rectify the Chet of Odomorisha. And therefore, on that night, here you've got Yaakov Avinu on the other side of the river, Yaboik. The word Yaboik is Osios, is the same letters as the name Yaakov. It's just missing one letter. And that is the Ayin. The Ayin, you've got the Yud, you've got the Basin, you've got the Kuf. 
It's rearranged, but it's the same letters as Yaakov. It's just missing an eye. And the reason is because the eye in, the eye in is the eye. He was standing in absolute darkness. He couldn't see godliness. He believed it. He knew that Hashem was there, but he couldn't see it. Because the costless earth had been covered up. The world was now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, so to speak, in disguise. And he was going to battle. And we'll speak about that Hashem later on, how he overcame the Sarah of Esau. And he battled and he battled until finally, until that first ray of light broke through. At that point, Yaakov Avinu says, it doesn't, doesn't mean I saw a malach. Yaakov Avinu looked at his body and he said, I see godliness. Now, once again, you looked at Yaakov Avinu and you could see he was a, he was a shtick, he was a piece of Elokus. How do I know this? Because later on, when he went back to Beis Kel and he went to the Mizbeach there, it says, Vayikro Yisrael. Rashi talks about what exactly was the name he gave to the Mizbeach there, but the Ramban says no. Vayikro as shocking as this may sound, says the Ramban, probably Kabbalistic this, but he says, that our Kodesh Baruch Vayikro Hashem called him, Vayikro Hashem called Yaakov Avinu, he said, Elokei Yisrael. I think it's from Rabbi Nechunia ben Akano. Hashem said to him, I am the Elokim up here, and you are the Elokim down there. Now that sounds like some other religion, right? I don't have to spell it out. What does that mean? Chas v'shalom, that's not what it means. I'm sure you mean something Kabbalistic, but on a simple level, I think what he means is as follows. Hashem says, up here, everyone can see me. Up here, the Malachim, you can see Hashem is there in Ezmer but down there on earth, after the Chet of Adam Orishan, now HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in disguise. You are going to be the Elohim. You are going to be the ambassador of my, of my kinship. When people look at Yaakov Avinu, they can look at your face and they'll see Elokos. Kira isi Elohim ponim el ponim. Fatimotzel nafshi means my nefesh. My neshama has been, Fatimotzel means it's been brought out. Now, the neshama is no longer inside. The Neshama of Yaakov Avinu, which is a Chilek of Hashem, can now be perceived, can actually be seen and viewed on the outside of Yaakov Avinu. That's Peniel. Peniel means he's seen Penekel. You look at Yaakov Avinu and you can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not that Chas V'Shalem, Yaakov Avinu was a God, that's not what it means. What it means is that when you look at Yaakov Avinu, you will see, you will see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He will be the physical ambassador of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Malchus down here on earth. And he, on a personal level, on an individual level, has fulfilled his mission. The Bessar of Aesop wasn't going to give in so easily. Maita Obisimilabon, he wanted to ensure that although Yaakov, individually, he had succeeded, he'd made it, but the children of Yaakov would still be charged with an equally difficult mission. So what did he do? He dislodged one of the Gidim of Yaakov Avinu, otherwise known as the Gid HaNosha. It says, I think it could be the Chidor, I don't remember who says what, but in Parshas Vayigash, when Yaakov Avinu is going down to Mitzrayim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to him and he says, Yaakov, Yaakov. And if you take the Gematria of Yaakov, Yaakov is Gematria 182. 182 multiplied by 2 is 364. They say that Yaakov, Yaakov, 364 of your 365 sinews are 100% intact. But there's one of those sinews has been damaged. And that sinew is obviously is the Gitanosha. What that means in different words, 
is that 364 days in the year you'll be completely attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A sinew is something which connects. For example, when they do, they do, uh, they check the Tzuma Sagidin. After shafting a chicken, so they want to check that none of the giddin, none of the sinews have snapped. What do they do? They make a slight slit and then they take hold of the giddin, it's a bit like piano strings, and you put on it and see if the, if the toes, if the fingers of the, of the chicken's uh, feet, whether they move. If one of them doesn't move, you know that that is obviously snapped. So, out of the 365 sinews which connect Yaakov Avinu to HaKadosh Baruch 365 days a year, one of them has been damaged. And that is the Gid HaNosha. The word Nosha means to forget. One day in the year, Kalad Yisrael are going to forget HaKadosh Baruch We know what day that is. That's the day of Tisha B'Av. Again, it's, it says in Parashas Tavorim, Hashem says it's because you lack Emunah. Could be Epitochim, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, for one moment, it's completely irrational. The Meraglim come back on the on Nel Tishabov and they say, Ki kumimenu. Those giants are stronger than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Blasphemous words. How could they say such a thing? After all HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for them, in Mitzrayim, the Midbar, what's going on over here? The answer is, for a moment, just a moment, they lost sight. Emunah they had in Hashem, but Betochim not. Meaning to say, the giants are real. They came face to face with these huge giants. And for a moment, they lacked that feeling of the laid that connection to Hashem. And they actually uttered those words, Ki and that spelled trouble. From that day on, we know Tisha B'Av was the root of all troubles. And now, Kladi were charged with this Hercules mission, which was Penu El. For Yaakov Avinu, it was Peniel. Peniel means, I have come, Penekel. I have reached the end of the road on, a, on an individual level. But Yaakov Avinu, Kira Isi Adekim El Ponim El Ponim, that's in Otsel Nafshi. The son rose for Yaakov, he was healed of his Gedal Moshe. Personally, he was all sorted. But for the rest of Kladisov, his children, myself, Isim, and Abonim, there was a long road ahead. And therefore, the word was Penuel. Penu is the imperative, it's an instruction, it's a command. Penu, go face Hashem. Go find Hashem and make Hashem real in your lives. And this is the mission which we, which we all the way back, for, at least from the times of the, of the destruction of the, of the second base Hamikdash, that's the mission over the last more than 2,000 years we've been charged with. We have to make our Kodesh Baruch real in, in our lives. And as the night gets darker, as Goddess gets darker, it gets even harder. But this is what we have to do. That's the, that's the reason, again, just coming back to the two questions. Does not mean he saw a Malach. He'd seen a Malach many times before. He said, means I have seen Elokus. I can see Hashem. He's absolutely real. I can see him like I can see a person of flesh and blood. He looked and he could just see Hashem. It was real. And as for the second question, was it Peniel or was it Penuel? The answer is for Yaakov Avinu on an individual level, it was Peniel. But for Kalad Yisrael, it was still, there was a, a long road ahead, it was Penuel, and that's why throughout Nach, in the few cases it comes up, it's Penuel, it's an instruction, it's a mission, we have to go and find HaKadosh Baruch. But I want to speak about this evening is, can we look, can we take any, how do we practically do this? As we said, we're all sitting here, Ma'aminim B'nei Ma'aminim, or Ma'aminim B'nei Ma'aminim, we all believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Emunah, as we said, Emunah means, not just I believe, I know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source of all goodness. I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks after my, my paranoia, my health, and so on and so forth. But the problem is, how can I bring that into my heart 
to the extent it becomes mamish part of me that I can see Hashem so clearly in everything. I wouldn't have any qualms whatsoever. It's like seeing rich Uncle Max. Why, why, do I have to, why do I have to worry? When I dab and I see Hashem there, what can I do? So I'd like to suggest three eights, three pieces of practical advice to a large extent based on Yaakov Avinu, as we'll see. The first is the present, as in the gift. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I've got a very special gift in my treasure house, which I'd like to give to Kalal Do you know what this gift is? The Shabbos Shemot. Its name is Shabbos. He told Meshach Rabbeinu, go tell Kalal Yisrael. Shabbos is a gift. Why is Shabbos a gift? If you do a survey, and I've asked this before, I've asked this to Kirib Rabbonim. You can ask Bari Teshuvah, ask the Kirib Rabbonim. How many people come back because of an incredible philosophical talk they hear? And the answer, the philosophical talk was very interesting, stimulating, but I'll tell you the truth, that didn't change me. You ask, it's especially known in America, it's the idea of Shabbat UK, is a Friday night meal, however, that was what sparked it all off. Obviously there was a whole process they went through, but they said they came to a Friday night meal, these Bali Teshuvah say they come to a Friday night meal, and they were mesmerized. Now you ask them, what is it about a Friday night meal? Is it the Zemiris? Is it the food? Is there something so special about the, the filter fish, the kugel? What, what is it? Is it the kids fighting at the table? What is it about a Friday night meal? What makes it so special that a person has changed just like that? And instead, Americans, it's, it's well known. In America, they're much more emotional. They're changed just like that. What is it? So, I'll tell you, I think the answer is like this. A number of years ago, I used to sit and learn in a, in a certain place, Hamedish in Golden Creek. And there was a, a Kirib rabbi there. He used to learn one-on-one with, uh, with various people. And I used to sometimes sit there and just listen to what he, was, what he was talking about. And he was talking to this person about how tefillah is such an incredible thing. You know, tefillah, you feel so close to Hashem. Enveloped by his warmth, you can come to that because It's incredible. No. After he finished learning with this person, it came time for Mincha. So you watch this person, Davani Mincha, and Taka, true to his word, looked like he was in a different world. What bothered me was the next stage. When he took his three steps back, finished Osa Shalom, comes forward, he then start edging to the back of the, of the shul, look around, and then just sort of try to edge out very quietly, and out the door he was. And this happened day in, day out. I don't know if anyone else was watching this, but this is something, something which I noted. And on the few instances when he did stay in for Chazara Tashat, he was there on his phone, probably setting up whatever he had to do. Now, it's not, not my position, I'm not a mashkiach, it's not a, I'm not, we're not coming here to be judgmental, I'm sure he's very busy. But my, what bothered me was the following. If you really believe, not just believe, not just you know, you live with that idea that when you're davening, you're davening Hashkodesh Baruch Hu is in the room there, how can you just walk out the door? How can you be busy on the phone? If the queen was there, would you do that? You wouldn't. It's impossible. So what's the problem? The problem is again. Emuna he's got. He's probably got more Emuna than I have. You watch the way he doubles, incredible. But the fact is, when it comes to the lathe, it obviously hasn't penetrated all the way through. Fine. So I said, it's not my, my job here to be judgmental. Fine. But the problem is, when you're telling this over, you're trying to give over the importance of Tefillah to your Talmud. We know if the words come from the heart, then they will be nechnosim, they will enter and they will penetrate 
this potential Baal Teshuvah, it'll, it'll penetrate his heart. But if it hasn't yet penetrated your own heart, whether he noted the fact that this, this person's always going out, you know, the minute he finishes his out, I don't know. Well, that's definitely going to be quite a, quite a problem. But even if not, obviously your words haven't convinced you enough to make it penetrate your heart, it's not going to change this person either. That's where Shabbos is different. When it comes to Shabbos, you don't have to do anything. It's a matana. HaKadosh Baruch says, Look, here's the money. Go spend and I will pay up. This day is a day for me. This is my Shabbos table. Shabbos is a taste of what it was once like before the Chet of Mauritian. And therefore, when this person comes, he comes to the Shabbos table, he's never seen anything like this. Ask him to pinpoint it. He won't be able to. But I'll say something about the food. We know it's called the Shabbos spice. But this, the food had a certain spirituality to it. The Zemiris sounded like they came from a different world. And you know what? Even the children fighting was also something different. Everything about a Shabbos. Shabbos is something, it's from a different world. And the reason is because on Shabbos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu unmasks himself. And if a person opens their eyes to the beauty of Shabbos, Shabbos is a day of reality. It's no longer just a dream. This is a day of reality. It's the 60th of Elam Abor, Chazal tell us. You get a taste of what Elam Abor. Elam Abor, we're told the Sadiqim sit and they literally, they face HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Nenim is That's what Shabbos is on a, on a micro, on a micro level. But that's what Shabbos is all about. So when this person comes, he's just been going wherever it's to the disco and he comes in from the pubs from the disco and he comes to this, he's never seen anything like this. The spirituality of Shabbos will change him on the spot. That's the beauty of Shabbos. It's a matzono. It's not something we actually have to do. We have to prepare the food. We have to obviously prepare ourselves for Shabbos. But Shabbos will speak for itself. Just invite the people and let them just experience the Shabbos and it will change them. This is the beauty this is the gift of Shabbos. Shabbos is a day in and of itself of absolute reality. That's Shabbos. Obviously, to a certain extent, by the way, it always brings to mind, a person, you know, because you, you may well ask, well, why don't I get, you know, every Shabbos should change me then. So I'll tell you, this. once there was, a, there was a school teacher, he went around the class, and he asked, the, he asked the, he went around one by one, and he said to them, tell me, these little kids, he said to them, tell me, what's important in life? So each one, you know, being, being a little honest, you, the, the, the uh, sincerity of children, so one said Torah, about the Torah. Next one, Tefillah. Somewhere a little bit more honest, maybe, have a nice car. Another one, have a nice house. Go on holiday three days here. He was going around with this. Interesting. Then he comes to one little kid, and he says, Young uncle, tell me, what's important in life? So the uncle, without hesitation, says, Cholent. So he says, sorry? Did you hear the question? Do you know what the word important means? He says, yeah, Cholent. So he says, why? He says, I don't know. He says, well, why do you say challenge is important in life? She says, I don't know. Look, I'll tell you. It comes Friday night, comes Shabbos, and my father sits at the head of the table. He's reading the newspaper, dozing in between. I try to say my devoutory, he's not listening. Try, we want to sing Zemiros. He says, you can go ahead and sing. He's busy reading. But you should see, when my mother brings in the challenge, he attacks it like he hasn't eaten for a week. So Charles says, I don't know what my father sees in challenge, but obviously it must be important in life. The first time I told this in public, I actually, it sort of struck me that uh, anyone who's got young children, you better just actually check this one out. It could be very embarrassing. So I went around that, that night on the, there were the four, four kids at the table at the time, and I asked them, what's important now? Baruch Hashem, three of them, three out of the four gave very good answers. The fourth one, I admit, didn't, didn't know what the word important meant. <laughs> but um, this is, this, as I said, is the gift of Shabbos. If a person 
If Shabbos is centered around the children, then yes, it's not going to, a person not going to get that much out of it. But if a person views Shabbos as the gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has made it, then Shabbos can change a person. Because Shabbos is a day of absolute reality. Just as, as an aside, I'll just use it to, to explain one, one other idea. You know, when, when one's got Sheva Brachas, so as Sheva Brachas, you have to invite Ponim Chadoshes. If you want to be able to say Sheva Brachas, you have to have somebody who wasn't there, the Chasana. So for Ashkenazim, that means one. And for Sephardim, those who go like the Rambam, it means two. Ponim Chadoshes is plural after all. So they ask a question on the Rambam, they say, well then what about Shabbos? We all know that on Shabbos you don't need Ponim Chadoshes, because Shabbos is the Ponim Chadoshes. Now, as great as Shabbos is, but Shabbos is only one. So where's the second one? But according to what we've said, it's not a problem. Because on Shabbos, every single human being is a different human being. Every, even the Chosun and Kala are different people. It always adds, therefore it's, it's well worth the Chosun and Kala when going out on Shidduch, and they should go out on Shabbos as well, just to see if they're compatible with the Shabbos people as well. Shabbos is literally is a day of reality. It changes. People are different people. The world is a different world. This is the world of our Kodesh Baruch That's what Shabbos is all about. That's Eitzah number one. Eitzah number two is through Tzpilah. Let me ask you a question. When we hear of somebody who's but a person who's seriously not well. So people arrange a Tzpilah rally, they get together and they go through the whole of the Sefer Tzpilah. Now, I ask you, what are we doing? So people sit down there for half an hour and they go through the whole of the Sefer Tzpilah. They may say a Mishabir after the end, maybe not. What are we doing when we say Sefer Tzpilah? So you ask everyone, everyone will say, we're dominating for the Chayla, right? So I ask you the following question, for Dominic for the Chayla, show me, take the most classical one people say for a Chayla, Shir Hamalis, Shir Hamalis, whichever one you want, show me, where is there a single word in there about the Chayla? There isn't a single word. It talks about the troubles of Kral Yisrael, our Kodesh Baruch comes to their rescue, but there's nothing about a Chayla there. Maskele Dovid, you go through them, where does it say anything about a Chayla? Yeah, maybe that's why we go through the whole of the because they put our psukim dotted here and there, where you'll find something about a chayda. But in all seriousness, where, where, what are we doing when we say, when we say, tzayinim? That's question number one. Question number two is, let's be honest for a second. And the two questions we'll see that Hashem are actually connected to one another. When people leave the room after that, if we're talking about somebody who Nebuch is really, really, it's a very, very precarious situation. So we get together, we say him. When people leave the room, do you feel inside you, you know what, this person's going to get better? I'm convinced that we've said to him, the person's definitely going to get better. Or deep down, being very, really honest with yourself, do you feel, you know what, we've gone through this sadly so many times before, and 99% of the time we're not Zohar to the miracle. We're already preparing for the, I wouldn't call it the inevitable, but so to speak the inevitable. Do we feel deep down that we're really convinced that Tehillim is going to change something? Or do we go away with the thing that, you know what, Tehillim can, of course Tehillim can, but it's, it'll take a miracle. Now, you may say, what do I want with that? And then if you've heard, there's somebody called Rav Shmuel Homina. Rav Shmuel Homina, the Kodesh Devrachov, is a tremendous Oved Hashem. He's a Mashkiach. And when, at the end of his life, he was lying on his bed, he was, he was seriously ill. And they say he lay there and he was constantly saying to himself, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. HaKadosh Baruch is going to make me better. He kept repeating it again. He was absolutely convinced. Now, if anyone who doesn't know, Rav Shmuel HaHomada, he wrote the Seif Al-Bitokhin. Okay? Rav Shmuel HaHomada, as we'll see, his, his opinion was, it's a bit of a chedosh, but not like the Chazanish, that Emunah is the theory and Bitokhin is the practice. He held, Emunah is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Moshe in the case of the Chayla, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can make me better. 
And the talking is Hashem will make me better. And I think that's the Hasidim's approach. It's like a small homin. Now, why would that be? So let me answer both questions in one. The problem we have, and this is based a little bit, once again, on, 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 on an idea of Rishon Shemshin The Chayva Salabovis says, at the beginning of Shara B'Tochit, he says that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Baruch HaGeva Sheyitach Bashem, Hoyashem B'Tachit. If you make me into your mitzvah, into your security, your trusted one, I will act accordingly. But if not, the motion in the case of a doctor, you want to trust in the doctor, I'll hand you over to the doctor. That means I won't forsake you, but I'll give you over to the doctor. Whatever the doctor can do, so be it. So this gives us a very, very difficult dilemma. Because on the one hand, we know that we are absolutely obligated to go to a doctor. If a person's not well, they're supposed to go to a doctor. On the other hand, you're telling me that I've got to, if I really want to get better, I've got to believe, I've got to make Hashem my doctor. And this doctor is nothing more than a shliach. Well, how do we reconcile the two? The truth is, I'll tell you something, Rabbi Victor Miller, at the end of his life, when the doctor said to him, you know, we tried everything, there's nothing more we can do, he smiled at them and he said, Baruch Hashem, this is the moment I've been waiting for. In other words, until now, I've done what I've had to do, go to the doctors. But it's very difficult to put your absolute betoken in Hashem as long as you've got a doctor there. Now you're telling me that your job is finished, now I can have absolute betoken in Hashem. Because the man the doctors are there, what am I supposed to do? The answer is Tehillim. What does Tehillim do? Tehillim in one word is brainwashing. That means to say as follows. Rav Shimshan Pinker says that the, I, can't, I think one of the altars, altar of Slobodko, altar of Kelm, the big body Muslim, they used to take a posuk and they used to sit down for six hours and repeat the posuk again and again and again. The idea being, they should go from the odatayim, from the intellectual, into the heart. By saying it again and again and again, you'll eventually you'll live it. If Shimshan Pinker says, he says he personally did this. Not six hours, three quarters of an hour. He says, I think as the Al-Tabacha, on Erev Shavuos, he went into a shul, and he sat down, he took a posuk, Vayeret Hashem al and he said it again and again and again. And he said by the end of it, he could actually feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming down on Har Sinai. It wasn't just something you read in Chumash. It wasn't just something which happened. He could actually, it was vivid. He could see it there in front of his very own eyes. I haven't done it for three quarters of an hour. I've tried it once or twice in, in, in Davening. When it comes to the Apostle, just to sit there, close your eyes and say it again and again. I can't say I can see it, but you feel a certain warmth enveloping your, your whole being. By saying it again and again, it becomes like, so to speak, a mantra, it becomes, it penetrates the heart. And that's the idea of Tehillim. By saying it again and again, whatever the situation that Dovet HaMelech was facing at the time, was it Parnosa, was it Gazunt, whether it was facing enemies, whatever it may have been, the answer is It came from nothing. Say it again, say it again, and keep saying it to yourself. That posseg, another posseg. They, they believe in horses and they're strong horses. It came to nothing. We come to Vanessa. Why? Because we believe in our Kodesh Baruch Hu. The more we, we, we keep telling ourselves this, the more it will actually enter the lake. If we reach that stage where we can actually, after Lamosha, half an hour, an hour, an hour of saying to Helen, I can actually feel our Kodesh Baruch Hu is my doctor. Our Kodesh Baruch Hu, we're asking you to go see to this patient. Luke will follow along with the doctor's orders because he's just a physical shaliyah. But you are the doctor we want you. Baruch HaGevah Shayyitah Hashem. You are my betachin. 
then we should be leaving the room with the following thoughts. I'm a child of Hashem. I don't understand Hashem's ways. I know His ways are beyond me. But from my childish perspective, why, oh why, would our Kodesh Baruch not want to make this person better? He's his child. He loves him. The patient loves our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Our Kodesh Baruch is the Kod He's the body of the Shem Shem Pinker says that there is no cure. Our Kodesh Baruch Hu will create one. What's the problem? Why in the world would our Kodesh Baruch Hu not want to do it? Imagine you've got a patient who's not, who's not well. The doctors have washed their hands of him. So you think he, he doesn't have any chance. Then you hear, you know what? There's a famous doctor coming to town. And this doctor, he's got a cure for this. And he just so happens to be the father of this child, of this patient. But of course you'd be thinking to yourself, now of course this patient's going to get better. Now it could well be that this super doctor will come along and tell you, you know what, you're very short-sighted. There's a whole load of complications, a whole load of reasons why this person's not going to get better. I'm not going to treat him. But from my perspective, when I leave the room, so this is effectively what Rishmuel Homina, this is the way I understand it. From my childish perspective, like a child, I remember as a child, you know, telling to my father, why don't we invest in this? You know, these sort of, I have these grandiose ideas. And my father would smile telling me, because obviously as a child, you think it's so simple. Life is so simple. From my simple perspective, I'm leaving the room thinking, we've actually asked you, our Kodesh Baruch Hu, not just Emunah, we've actually got Betochen that you should be the doctor. And therefore, if you're the doctor, you've, you've already promised us. You're personally going to get involved. Now, from my childish perspective, I know you may have a host of reasons, but I should leave the room with the confidence that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make him better. From my perspective, if he doesn't, I've got no complaints, because I know I don't understand anything. But from my simple perspective, it's not a contradiction. From my perspective, if somebody were to ask me, can you see any reason why I shouldn't get better? I can't see it. We've asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have appointed him as the doctor, why wouldn't he? So from my childish perspective, why not? I'll tell you, there was, there was once uh, a story just to perhaps bring out, bring out this idea. There was somebody in, in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, I think uh, her name is Mrs. Arbach, I don't, no relation of her, but name is Alman. And one day she hears this child, she can hear a baby crying. Incessantly, it's going on and on. And she's, after a while, she begins to think, you know, why are the parents not coming to the rescue? So she goes, she opens her front door to go out and investigate. And she almost trips up over a little bundle which is sitting at her front door. It's a baby. And the baby's been abandoned, left at her front door. No notes, nothing. She says, no, what do you do? And the baby obviously is, is, is crying away. So she takes the baby in her arms. She comforts the baby. She calms the baby down. She consults, consults with her husband. What should we do? No, we'll take, take the baby in for a few days. And then we'll see. We'll see if the parents come, come back for him. After a few days, the parents don't turn up. So now they know social services are going to get involved, whatever the equivalent is there. And they know with already a large, a large family, the chances are they won't, they, won't be, they won't agree to the baby staying there. But on the other hand, if they let the baby go, who knows where this baby will go? Maybe be, be given over to a non-Orthodox family. So they managed to, with connections, they pulled some strings and they actually adopted this child. And they gave him a name, they gave him the name Dovid. That was it. Mum is a beautiful baby. And that was until he started school. As he started school, and he learns that actually he was an, an adopted child, the insecurity set in, and he started playing up. And he was playing pranks. And it went on like this, and the, 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 well, the adoptive parents were called in, again and again. And eventually, one time, the parents were called in, and they were told, look, 
We can't go on like this. Next, next sort of zaman, next uh, term is Elul. If he turns things around in Elul, then fine. If not, we really feel it's just, there's no point in staying here. We'll have to ask him to find a different yeshiva. No, Elul came. There was a little bit of an improvement, but nothing really changed. So, true to their words, there was nothing more they could do. And during that Elul, he was taken off to a different yeshiva. Pretty, pretty much from the day he entered there, there was a complete metamorphosis. He changed completely. Suddenly, within a few months, he was the biggest masmid in the yeshiva. And no one could understand where this, where this had come from. You don't ask questions. No, it went on like this. Met a number of years down, down the road. Got a shidduch. Got married. But she was also possibly a, a yeshiva. She came from a poor background. Didn't have any money. He didn't have any money. So they moved outside of Yerushalayim. Found somewhere cheap to rent. And then they decided after a few months of marriage, instead of just spurning all this money on rent, let's try and buy something. But to buy something we need, we need some sort of down payment. So he went to his Rebbe, who he was very, very close to, and he said to him, he said, Rebbe, I'm going to America. I need to raise $20,000. So his Rebbe said to him, do you know anyone in America? He said, no. So why are you going to America? Well, everyone goes there, right? No. He says, look, Hatzlach Rabba, go ahead. He's three days later, three days later, he's back. So the, the Rebbe asked him, he said to him, no. He thinks obviously it's been a failure. And he's, he says, yeah, Rebbe, no problem, I've got them. Got the full 20,000. He said, how do you do it? He said, look, the first person I went to gave me $5,000, just like that. And then a few other kind of individuals. I went to one after the other, they gave me $1,000. Took me, whatever, a couple of days, that's it. So he said to him, he said, he turned serious and he said, David, tell me, what is, what is the secret here? So he says, I'll tell you, Rebbe. You should know that until that day, during that Elul, I felt forlorn, I felt abandoned, and obviously I was playing up. That Elul, when I came to this yeshiva, so we started saying the David Hashem And as we were saying the David Hashem I came to a posuk. It says, Ki ovi For my father and my mother forsake me. And I paused for a second and I thought, that's me. David HaMelech is talking to me. Ki ovi And what does David HaMelech say? Hashem yasveni. And Hashem will gather me in. Hashem saying, you've been forsaken? No problem. I, from this day on, I will be your father and your mother. You've got any problems? Speak to me. So I turned to HaKadosh Baruch on that day and I said to Hashem, from now on, if I've got any problems, I'm going to come to you. And that's exactly what he did. And he says, from that moment, anytime I needed anything, I literally just asked like a child asking his father and it, it came to me. And this time is no exception. I turned to HaKadosh Baruch and I said, look, I don't know anyone in America, but you've probably got some contacts there. So, look, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm not asking the money to rain down from the sky. So, you know, I'll get on the plane and you take my feet to where they're supposed to go. And that's exactly what happened. But he says, Rebbe, you should know. You say, Lidovet Hashem Oiri, just in Elul. I say it in every single month. Av, Shabbat, Ador, whichever month. Because that piece of Tehillim speaks to me more than, ever, more than anything else. That is the power of Tefillah. When a person... A pulse that connects to my heart and it penetrates my heart, then it becomes real. Then our Kodesh Baruch Hu says, If I'm real to you, you've made me your mitoch, I'm taking up the job. And if I'm taking up the job, I'll go all the way. That's Eitzah number two. Eitzah number three is in one word, is tefillin. Now you're probably thinking, Tefillin, a waste of time here. What's, what's tefillin got to do with it? So, it's really based on this week's Sedra, or Parshat Vayetze. We know in Parshat Vayetze, Yaakov Avinu has been cheated time and time over. Right by Lobo. And finally, Yaakov Avinu, he's, 
He's worked his full 14 years, and he decides, you know what, I'm moving out of here. So Lovin says, no, please. It's because of you, I've got all this bracha, please stay on. You, you dictate the terms. So Yaakov Avina says, okay, I'll tell you what. Take all the sheep away that you want, all the, all the good, strong sheep. Leave me just the shvacha sheep. And then we know the whole story with the spotted and the speckled, etc., etc., and those will be my sheep. <coughs> He's taking quite a risk. Where, where did he expect this? No, we know what he did. He took the sticks, right? he took these mucklers, and he made peelings on the sticks, put them in the water troughs, and then he was hoping, and that's what happened, the sheep would come, they'd drink, they'd do that, and that's, they'd have children, spotted and speckled. But it says in Sephardim, I don't know what this means, but it says that by peeling these sticks, he was actually somehow connecting to the mitzvah to fill it. Now, I don't know what he means, but I'm going to try and attempt to explain in simple terms what Yaakov Avina was trying to do here. What has Tefillin got to do with it? So let me begin by explaining what is... Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll start like this. Almost a year ago, about a year ago or so, I went... Some people, some people may have heard this. I was so shocked by this. I've told it in a, a couple of settings already. That... I went to have my Ritzuis, my straps and my tefillin changed. And I saw sitting on the table there of the, you know, the person who deals in this, I saw a shell rosh, a tefillin shell rosh. Now you know the tefillin shell rosh is made up of four compartments, and it was all mangled, they were sort of pulled apart. So I said to him, what happened here? He said, don't ask. He says, Manish, it's, it's, it's a terrible story. I said, why, what happened? He says, Nebuchadnezzar was a child, a teenager, who really needed help, and he not only went off the derech, one day he completely flipped it. He went to his drawer, he took out his tefillin, which probably he hadn't been wearing for a long time, and he was so angry at God, so to speak, he decided, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take out the parashiyas and he's going to rip them up. The problem was, he didn't know how to break into the tefillin. So he showed me. He tried with a screwdriver, didn't work. He tried ripping them apart, didn't work. Eventually he found his way in, and Nebuchadnezzar took out these parashiyas, and he, ripped, he didn't manage to get all of them out but he ripped them apart. Baruch Hashem, as, as, as this person said, we can't be judgmental, this person was in terrible, terrible pain. He got the help he needed, and he was back on the road, so to speak, to recovery. This boy himself was, had brought the tefillin back to the, to the sofa there, to the person to have, see what he could do with them. But after seeing such a thing, I tell you, obviously, a person's shocked. And I'm sitting there for days afterwards in shock, just sort of playing this through in my mind again. I remember one day after davening, I was sitting there after shakras, and I was just sitting there, and the following thought struck me. You know, the Rashba says that the message of the Tefillin, one of the messages of the Tefillin is as follows. The Tefillin Shal Rosh has four compartments. He says that represents the four directions of the world. Right? North, east, south, west, right? The whole, it encompasses the whole world. That means that the Postuk says, all the peoples of the land will see, the Tefillin Shal Rosh, everyone can see it. That means you look at the world around you, you see the sun, you see the moon, you see the planets, you see a world of, of HaKadosh Baruch's Bria. You see all these koiches. But where does that all come from? It says the Gemara, the Chunhu, literally this means all the parashiyas, Shema Yisrael, Vahaya and Shomaya, all these things are also written on the arm, in the Shaliyat. But says the Rashba, what it really means on a deeper level is, all those koiches that you see in the world, the Chunhu Ksivi Be'edroi, they are all written and they all stem from the Yad of HaKadosh Baruch in other words, if you want to know where they are, everything you're seeing in the world, it's really, that's the Yad of HaKadosh Baruch Right, that's the idea. So I thought to myself the following. There's many, many people who never, they have their Bar Mitzvah, 
It's a traditional affair. They put on their, their spinning for the first time, and after that, they put it in a drawer, and they close the drawer, and that's it. Could be for the rest of their life. Could be till they have some awakening later on in life. That's very easy. Because what the person is saying is, here you go, the tefillin, the tefillin which testify that our Kodesh Baruch Hu runs the world. I'm not denying that. You can't deny that. But you know what? I'm going to put it away in a drawer. And I say to Hashem, look, you keep to yourself, I'll keep to myself, and everyone will be happy. That's very easy. A person can walk around blinded. Right? I know that Hashem's there, but you know what? I don't want to live such a life. So you know what? I'll put you away. I know all evidence points to God, but I'll put you away. But to rip up the parashites, I'm not saying it's what this boy was actually had in mind, but to be able to actually deny that our Kodesh Baruch Hu controls the world, to actually deny to be an atheist, is an extremely difficult job. An extremely difficult job. Because the whole world testifies, they've got to go to all these ridiculous theories in order to try and buffer and, and, and sort of support their, 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 their theories. It's extremely difficult. Anyone who's got any semblance of, of uh, simple intellectual powers can see that there is, there's a Rebbeinah Shalom. There's somebody who's created and somebody who continues to run the world. It's extremely difficult. When we put on the Tefillin, the idea is we put on the Tefillin Shal Rosh. That declares that that's the Emunah. The Odato Hayon, that's the ideal, that's in the head. That's the intellectual capacity. That I know, not just I believe, I know that when I look at the sun, that's Hashem. When I look at the sea, how beautiful. Those mountains, it's all Hashem. But that's not enough. You have to tie it onto your arm. Where do you tie it onto the arm? Take my word for it, it's opposite the heart. You have to tie it. Ukshartum la'isa is opposite the heart. Because you have to take, it's not good enough for your data to see that Hashem's there. You've got to let it penetrate the heart. Make it real. In other words, the idea is that when you look at the Bria, when you look at the creation, you can see Hashem in everything. And that's exactly what Yaakov Avinu was doing. Let me explain to you why. If you take a stick, the word makel, anyone who's got pen and paper will be much easier, but if not, I'll try and do it without. The word makel, mem kuf lamas, is gematria 170. Okay, because I was trying to work out what's Makil got to do with Tefillin. So I looked at the Gematria. Gematria is 170. Now, if we peel, let's peel, peel off the bark. Let's go inwards. How do you go inwards? Take each letter and go a little bit in. Look at the hidden part of the letter. What's the hidden part of a letter? How do you spell the letter Mem? It's Mem, Mem. So the hidden part is the second Mem. So take that, that's 40. Then you've got the letter Kuf. Kuf is Kuf, Vov, Pei. So the hidden part is the vov and the pay, that's 86. So 40 and 86 is 126. Then take lamut, makel, right, lamut. Lamut is lamut, mem, dalet. Mem and dalet is 44. Right, so I good math teachers. Right, so 44 and 126 is 170. So in other words, makel, the external, what you see, and the hidden part is exactly the same. When you look at a stick, when you look at a tree, that's Hashem. And just in case you think that's a coincidence, what is at the heart of Yaakov Avinu's name? Yaakov. What are the two letters at the heart of his name? Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Veis. It's Ayin and Kuf again, which is Gematria 170. In other words, when you look at the Bria, a person can either look at it and just say, well, you know, I can see Hashem there, but we'll deny it. That's not enough. Obviously, that's not enough. That's, that's next stage. A person can look at it and say, my, more Abu Masef Hashem. You've got to appreciate that when I look at the sun, it's not just that Hashem created the sun. That is Hashem masked. If you go inwards, you'll see that's Hashem. The, the yard, the yard inside is the same as the rock. The chudu kisiv Everything you see in the world, it's all the yard of Hashem. Ainu it's 
It's not just pshat that I look at the world and say, wow, there must be such an incredible craftsman creator who made this world. No. When you look at these things, it's all Hashem. It's just a mask. Hashem, his hand is concealed, but it's all there. All the genetics are in everything you see in the world. And that's what Yaakov Avinu realized. He said in this week's Sedra, he said, Because I came over the river Yardin with what? I didn't have a wife, didn't have children, I had no money. We know the story with Eliphaz. Eliphaz came to kill on the instruction of his father to kill Yaakov. So he said, what should I do? He didn't want to kill Yaakov. So Yaakov said, no problem, take all my money because oni of kameh. Somebody who's poor is like a dead man. So he had nothing. No wife, no children. He came with nothing. But what? His stick. What, his walking stick? What's his stick? The maket is his bitokin. He said, I came to the house of Lovon with nothing more than bitokin. And therefore when Lovon, he tried to teach me, he tried to treat, trick me and deceive me, Aseris made him time and time again. And he, he was the one who was laughing all the way. He said, well, I'll, I'll take all the good sheep. You can keep all the shvacha sheep. Yaakov Avinu said, no problem. I've got my sticks. My stick testifies that HaKadosh Baruch created the world. And if HaKadosh Baruch created the world, do you think he's going to have any problem with making spot and speckled sheep? There's no problem whatsoever. And that's the tefillin. The word tefillin also, to a certain extent, comes from the word naftulei elekim niftalti which means to beseech, to actually battle, to go to, to battle. And that's the third thing we have to do. We have to battle the ideology of Esau, Amorik, who are absolutely set on their, on their course to deny that there's a God. We have to battle that. We have to look at the world around us and see that our Kodesh Baruch is every single place where I look. You can see Asher. These are the three things which Yaakov Rabinu went to battle with. Lederim is the presence of Shabbos. Yaakov and Shabbos are very much connected. I don't have time to explain. Just, I'll just give you a little bit of a clue. The, the, the only one of the obvious who has a shin in his name, because Shabbos, is Yisrael. Right? It works with other things. Just, that, that's just a little bit of a clue. Shabbos and Yaakov are very much connected. Litzvillah, that's Yaakov Avinu. We know by Yifka, Bamokim, he davened, he davened, he davened. And in fact, as I said earlier, Ma'avar Yabek. How did he overcome it? We said, iron, the iron's missing. Yaakov is missing his eyes. You can't see Hashem. So what did he do? Yud base Kuf, this is not me, this is what it says in Sforim. Yud base Kuf stands for Ya'anenu Biyom Koreinu. Hashem will answer us on the day we call out. Ya'anenu Biyom Koreinu. You can rest assured if you call out from the heart, not from the mouth, from the heart, Hashem will answer us. And finally, Ramukhama doesn't just mean a physical battle with Esau. I'm prepared to fight to the bitter end to prove to the world that our Kodesh Baruch Hu has created this whole world and he's everywhere you look. You can choose to see him or you can choose to live your life sort of closing your eyes and denying it. Self-denial. But if you want, you can see Hashem everywhere. These, this was the three-pronged attack he took. I'll just close with a, one or two little stories which I think bring, bring these last points together very beautifully. Rabbi Yaakov Heber, he was a, he's a, a rob in Monsi. One era of Shabbos, he was... Um, he was preparing for his drosha for, for Shabbos. And all of a sudden, the, the phone started ringing incessantly and going on and on. So he picked up the phone and the person said, is this Rabbi Yaakov Heber? He said, yes. He said, I need to speak to you. So he said, uh, I'd love to speak to you, but maybe we could do it Sunday. He said, no, no, I have to speak to you today. So he said, okay, the person wasn't going to take no for an answer. So he gave him his address. He comes around. What's your name? Max Rose. So he says, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? How, how can I help you? So he said, let me give you a bit of a background to who I am, and then I'll present to you my request. 
I won't, be, I won't take much of your time. He says, my name is Max Rose, and I'm an atheist. But I'm not just an atheist, I'm a professional atheist. That means to say that I lecture in something called Rockland's, I think, Community College in America. I lecture there on atheism. And I've written several books on the subject. I'm about as atheist as you can possibly imagine. So the Archipaper said, right, and what would you like me to do for you then? He said, well, today, this was a strapping, you know, athletic-looking man. He said, well, today I received terrible news. I went to the doctor, I got results, and I've been told, basically, I've only got maximum a few months to live. So the Archipaper was sympathetic. He said, but what can I do for you? He said, well, Rabbi, I want to pray. At this point, this juncture in my life, I feel the need to pray. But I don't know what to do. An atheist? Well, how can an atheist pray? So the Archipaper thought for a moment, and he said to him, look, you say you're an atheist. Yeah. Do you believe 100% that God does not exist? Or could there be a 5% chance that maybe he does exist? So he thinks for a moment, drums his fingers a little bit, and he says, you know what? I thought I'd never say this, but the truth is, I can't be 100% sure. There could be a 5% chance. So he says, excellent. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to daven, I want you to pray, and aim your tefillah through this 5% window. No, if there's a God there, he'll be listening to you. He said, excellent idea. Now, what do I pray? So he took out his tailor. This is a person, as, as the story was told over, he's, he's handled many, many rare manuscripts as a, as a real intellectual in, in, the, in the universities there, and he gives him a tehillim. And he opens it up to one, one of the kapitulach of tehillim. He says, you can read Hebrew? He says, yeah, back in the day, before my Bavinsa, I learned. He's quite proud of that, fine. So he told him to read it, he read it, and then he explained to him what it meant. And the person felt quite, quite sort of rejuvenated. He said, now what? So Rabbi Akhavibah said, look, I think that the next sort of stage would seem to be we should set up a learning time together. 15, 20 minutes a day. So he said, fine, I'm, I'm up for it. So Rabbi Akhavibah said to him, what do you want to learn? He says, I don't know, I'll have to give that some thought. Fine. Sunday morning he comes back and he says, I've decided. I've researched and I've decided what I want to learn. He says, what? I want to learn about the laws of repentance. Hilkos to Shubha. He says, fine, that sounds good to me. Takes out the Rambam. And he learns him, he's incredible, this, this person was a real intellectual, he says that the questions he asked were incredible. And the person was literally, he was undergoing a complete transformation at the end of his life. But he, was, he had this dichotomy because he was still lecturing in university, still spewing forth all these ideas about atheism to his students. And he himself actually was beginning to believe, and not just beginning, he believed there was a God. And he's actually praying to HaKadosh Baruch day in, day out. He's already now, at the next stage, he's going to put on a couple Tfilin, Sitsis, that may have been after he retired. Eventually he got to the stage he was, his health was deteriorating, he had to retire from his position. Finally they came towards the end of the, the, the Hilchas Teshuvah. And they came to a statement of the Rambam. Where the Rambam says, if a person wants to be a complete Baal Teshuvah, the only way you can do that is, you have to come to the same situation, with the same, well, everything's got to be exactly the same, and you've got to do a 180 degree turn. So he looks at Rabbi Yaakov and he says, well, how can I do that? For years and years, I've been leading people astray. Rabbi Yaakov shrugs, he says, I don't know. No. To continue on, a few weeks later, this person is really, really deteriorated. He comes back and he looks so full of energy. He says, Rabbi, I've got the, I've got the idea. He says, what? He says, I've called up the university and I've asked them I would like one last opportunity. I've called it the last lesson. I want to give one last lecture. They can't say no to me. So he said to him, he said, right, and what are you planning to do with that? He says, I'm going to prove to them that there is a God. And that's exactly what he did. That day, 
he put more energy into that, into that lecture than any other lecture he'd ever given. And these students were obviously shocked, but he said to them, he said, if you look at the world around you, you'll see there's a God. But even if you've got any doubt, I just, I urge you one piece of advice. Keep a 5% window open. And that window will get larger and larger, eventually it'll be 10%, and eventually, like me, you will be convinced that there is a God in the world. A few weeks later, he returned his neshama to his creator. Rabbi Yaakov Heber was mustered in as a complete Baal Teshuvah, had completely turned his, his life around. His wife and children, fully, because of him, became fully from, orthodox, etc. This is the power, if a person opens his eyes, you can see the truth with your own eyes. I'll just end with one last anecdote, saying a heartwarming story of a little girl. There was a little girl called Lisa, a five-year-old. She used to go to some sort of one of these Hebrew academies. And one, she used to come over, the parents weren't particularly interested. They sent her because that, that, that's, what the, uh, that's what her friends went. So she went. And it was quite cute. She'd come home, Hanukkah, with a little clay menorah. When it came, you know, each yontif, one yontif, she comes home, coming up to Pesach. She comes home with a beautiful glass, you know, sort of a decorated cup. So the father asked her, his name was Alan, he said to her, Lisa, you know, what is that? She says, this is a kosher elion. She was grinning from, from ear to ear. So he knew where this was going. Because obviously if she's got a cup, they're going to have to have a seder. So his wife says, come on, you've got to do it. He says, I can't, I can't. You know, th- th- there's, there's a limit. No, in the end, she won. And he, for, for the night, he puts on his couple, he sits down and they go through it. She asked the manish tano. After benching, or whatever you call it, right? When, when it got to that stage, he finally said, he said, look, I'm tired, I've had enough. So little Lisa said, but, but daddy, but what about Kosher Eliyahu? He said, Kosher Eliyahu, I've had enough. And he, he stormed out of there. And as he went, he took the cup and he threw it down on the floor. He went up to bed. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, he's still tossing and turning. He couldn't forgive himself. How could he have done that? So he went into her room to try and, you know, make good. And she's not in bed. So he gets all worried. Where is she? He goes downstairs and he comes into the room and his heart almost breaks. She's there by the window. Her nose, little nose pressed up against the window. She says, Lisa, what are you looking at? So she says, Daddy, Daddy, can't you see? Eliola and Robbie standing right out there. He's waiting for us to open up the door. And her father grabbed her and hugged her. And as, I think I saw the story in, in uh, Touched by a Story, as he put it, who knows, with such simple amuna, or should we call it betachin, maybe she really did see Eliola and Robbie. Good luck. Yeah.